Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. They say you never forget a great teacher. And we got invited to a reunion to remember as students and their third grade teacher meet up again years later. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. We all remember our first love, and some of us also remember those great teachers that helped educate us and make us the people we are today. In our technological world, it's easier than ever to find each other again, and that's exactly what happened in this week's story. As former New York third graders from a class of 1965 found their third grade teacher living right here in Connecticut. So they set about organizing a reunion, and Connecticut East this week was invited to tag along. Take a listen to this story about Golda Siegel Doyle, who's now 83 years old, and the meeting she had with three former students. And to all the teachers out there, past and present, thank you for everything you do. Golda, it's great to meet you. You have an incredible story, which we're going to be discussing today. Tell us a little bit about it, because we're going to get to your background in a moment. But you got contacted, you are a former teacher, and you got contacted out of the blue by some third graders you taught many years ago. Tell us about that. Yes, I am online as Golda Siegel Doyle, and I got a text from a, a gentleman who said, Are you the Golda Siegel that taught at PS30 Queens many years ago? And I said, that's me. And he said, I was in your class. And I thought, that's very exciting. Do you know any other children? And as far as I could see, they were still eight years old. Do you know any other children who were in my class? And he said, yes, I do. And he said, I'll get in touch with them and they'll get in touch with you. And so he did just that. He got in touch with a number of students that were in my class By the way, my class was 33 students, and they were the brightest students in third grade. Tell us a little bit about the school as well, because it was a brand new community, you were telling me. So we want to get a little bit of background on this, because it was a unique community that had been created. Okay, the community of Rochdale Village was built on the site of the old Jamaica racetrack in South Jamaica. And it was a rather depressed area, and I assume it was the city of New York that decided to do this. And uh, they built a beautiful, beautiful 20 buildings of 20 stories tall, I believe. And the apartments were wonderful because I had some friends that lived there, so I got the chance to go see their apartments. Beautiful, big rooms, lovely, lovely apartments. And so they enticed a lot of different people to move in. And then, of course, education, school. Talk to us about 
was it PS30 it was called? PS30 was a new school. There was no school there, so they had to build PS30. And it became inundated with children very quickly because uh, as soon as a building was opened, people moved in. So it was a, a very transient type place, but not going out, but just coming in. And you never knew how many students you were going to have or who were going to be coming in. So it was a, a rather, what's, what would be the right word, a moving school. In fact, it was so crowded that they didn't have enough room in the school. We had rooms in the buildings. We rented out the recreation rooms in each building, and we had classes in those buildings also. Now, you live now in Connecticut, but formerly you lived in New York. I believe you're originally from New York as well. So how did you get the job? Tell us about how you got you know, your teaching job at PS30. I went to Leslie University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I gr- oh, let's go back a bit. I uh, graduated from Jamaica High School. I lived in, in a, a little community called Holliswood, and I went to school all through. I went to PS6 in Manhattan, so I, I, I'm edu- educated up until college in New York City. Jamaica High School was my high school, and then I went to Leslie University in Cambridge, Mass., and all they taught was how to teach. It was a teaching school, and so (laughs) it was right across the street from Harvard Law School, and so either you married a Harvard lawyer or you taught. I taught. (laughs) A long, illustrious career of teaching. We're going to get into that a little bit as well. When you think about teaching today... I mean, even back then, it's a tough job, isn't it? I mean, people don't realize, but teaching isn't easy. Not easy, but the first thing that you have to know how to do is to get control of your children in your classroom. And that is primarily the most important thing at the beginning of the school year. Because once you've done that, once the students know you mean business, then you have a good time then you enjoy yourself and they have fun also. And this class in particular, because they were the brightest, just had a marvelous time. And I did too. It was my third year of teaching in New York City. So I was really still quite new at at New York City, but it was wonderful. How old were you when you were teaching this third grade bunch? I was 25 years old. So you were still a young teacher yourself, probably, what, only a few years out of teaching college. Wasn't this a little bit daunting, these, these 33 students with very high IQs, who I'm sure got bored very quickly if they weren't engaged? I mean, it must have been a real challenge for you. Well, normally when you teach first, second or third grade, you do use a basal reader, and you read Dick and Jane, and you read, you know, and you advance. These children were not Dick and Jane children. So Golda, um, who was living at the time in Manhattan, took her shopping cart to the local library once a week and took out about 40 or 50 books that were third grade level and up so that I ran an individualized reading program uh, so that each child could grow and read things that were a little more difficult, but it had to be on an individual basis. They couldn't go in a group for reading. 
So think back to obviously when you were teaching them. I'm sure there's many, many stories. Anything that's like pops out immediately to you other than, you know, what you've just said about the fact that you went out of your way to make sure that these children had a great education by getting them books which were going to stimulate them. Any other little stories that's like, you know, sort of like coming back since you've been contacted by your former third graders? I think you're going to have to wait until you, we, we see them and we, and, and we hear their stories because I'm finding out things now I never knew when I, when I taught them. But it was just delightful to know that they wanted to learn and they would absorb anything that you presented to them. They were all in a new community, so they were all getting to know each other. And um, it's amazing now that they do have a Rashtel Village Club. None of them live in the village, and I will tell you why. The community was an open community. No doors were locked, no front doors were locked. And uh, sooner or later, there were gangs in the outlining community, and they started bothering members of the community, and there were a number of, um, of hits, and the community got scared, and so people started moving out. Yeah, a very different world back then than, than one that obviously we live in now. Let's like move it forward a little bit because like we said, we're going to be chatting to them when they arrive here, when you actually meet them, even though you've been so like conversing with them over the phone and, and online as well. After PS30, you know, where, where did you go from there? After PS30, I got married. I had Meredith and I had Jeremy and I was a housewife. We bought a home in Newport, Rhode Island, of all places. We visited there and fell in love with it, my husband and I. And so we bought a house in Newport and I had opened a children's recycle clothing store. So I had seen it in in Newport and then after four years, we moved to New London, Connecticut. And that's where I opened the children's clothing store, which was a lot of fun for about a year and a half or two. Then it got pretty boring. And so then I went back into teaching. And at this point, I substituted in the local public schools, which I didn't like. I didn't like only seeing the children for one day or two days and not really knowing them. So I ended up at Mitchell College in New London, Connecticut, and there I worked with learning disabled children that were 18, 19, and 20, and they needed help, and I had studied that. I have a beyond a master's degree, so um, that was very rewarding to, for me. And then when did you finally decide to give up the teaching thing, or were you still like really teaching somewhere in your mind, as it were? I ended up teaching at the sub-base. I taught them study skills so that they could go back to school. At some given point, I expired. <laughs> I just decided no more, no more. You know, I, I, I think I was in my 70s, and I uh, had grandchildren, and um, I wanted to spend more time with them. So I said goodbye to, to teaching in school, but I could always teach my grandchildren. And my <laughs> So we are here in New Haven, Connecticut today. We are waiting for, I believe, three of your students, your former third graders, to turn up, and we're going to have a little talk with them. How are you feeling right now? Nervous. Why? 
I, I, I don't know why. I, I'm afraid I'm going to see them as eight-year-olds. <laughs> and they're grown women in their, in their 60s. And they all have New York accents. And, <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'm nervous. This, this took quite a lot of planning on my part. And I want it to go smoothly. Well, we shall wait and see, but in the meantime, we'll say thank you to you and uh, we'll all wait here patiently for the arrival of your three former third graders. Yes, former, I have to remember that. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Golda, how does it feel here? here? I, I'm looking at them and I don't see No, you look exactly the same. Oh, thank you. She was hoping you were still going to be eight years old when you turned up. We feel like eight years old. Well, I acted like it on the way over here, so... Sue, so first time seeing Golda. First time since we got out of third grade, I guess. What's your recollections of her? Oh, she was just a great teacher. She had the compassion everybody. She was so sweet. She was such a good teacher. Everybody loved her. I don't think she had anybody in the class that didn't love her. And this is the first time, and thanks to Facebook and everything, we found each other. It's the first time we saw each other in over 50 years. Yeah, hey, you all travelled together, and it was yeah. the first time? Yeah, we all, met, um, we all met up in Long Island and took the ferry across the Long Island Sound. So that was an adventure. Then we had another adventure that will remain unspoken of. And here we are. <laughs> Meryl, you are the third lady here today. So just tell us immediate reactions as you came in. Well, I am very happy to see Golda. I reached out to her on social media a year ago and we started talking and I was absolutely thrilled to have contact with my third grade teacher, Miss Siegel. She was a wonderful, wonderful teacher and I'm, I was thrilled. And so then uh, Felice here and I connected on social media and we started planning why don't we get together and have a little reunion and it, it was a year in the making and Sue joined us and Felice was kind enough to drive us to Port Jeff. We took the ferry over which was incredible and I just moved back to New York from LA. I was living there for quite some time so I moved back a year ago. So doing all these New York things is a thrill for me. And now um, being in New Haven is awesome, and I'm just so happy. I haven't seen Miss Siegel in, well, I won't say how many years, but it's been <laughs> since third grade. So I'm very happy to be here and thrilled that it's of any interest for uh, your interest. It's very happy to be part of this reunion. Felice, I want to turn to you. What does this mean to you as well? I mean, you know, you've walked in you're seeing your third grade teacher for the first time. I know that some of you have like communicated through phone and through online, but it's very different to then physically meet the lady who has made you into the women you are today. <laughs> it's, it's like nothing and no time has passed. I'm going to start crying. I'm not going to start crying, but it's just she was such a lovely, wonderful 
bright spirit for all of us children in third grade. And I had teachers in kindergarten and first grade who were not. So it's not that they all were. Second grade was good, but then third grade was unbelievable. It was so, it, it just felt no, natural, but like a bridge, like a bridge. And I also, be, I grew up to become a teacher. I'm a retired New York City school teacher as well. And the things, I want to tell you this too, the things the, where we used to sit around every day, all of us gathered together, and Miss Siegel would read us a chapter from Charlotte's Web. Oh, yes. I cried when I read, when I, yes. yes. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean no, to interrupt you. No, that's fine, because that was, that's everything. That's how they teach. I became a teacher trainer and, 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 a, and a mentor to other teachers in my older days. And that is how we teach them to, it's it's called now they have names for it there was no name for it then she was just doing what she what was natural to her but that's the um workshop model that's the workshop model you were doing it australians have come they come here and teach us but it was beautiful we all looked forward to that part of the day everybody got together it was magic she made magic in the classroom she made magic for us Sue is sat next closest to me and is, is nodding here. Some of the other memories for you, I mean, you know, again, you're sat across you know, from your teacher. Not many people get a chance to do this. Tell us a little bit more. We grew up, we all went our separate ways and we're getting to know each other now and it's like Meryl went one way, Felice went another way, I went another way and we... I was looking at Facebook, I think it was the other day, and somebody put on a blurb up there, what was your favorite children's book growing up? And right away I blurted out Charlotte's Web. Now, while I was talking to, while we were waiting for you ladies to arrive and we were talking to Golda, she said that the books that she had in the classroom back then weren't good enough and that she would go out and she'd go to the library because you were all exceptionally gifted and intelligent class. Did any of you know that? I didn't know that, no. I had no idea. We, it was because she didn't do what a lot of teachers do. She didn't tell us every step of her life and every... She was just doing it. She just did it. She didn't talk about it. Just did it. Tell us a little bit more, Meryl, as we sit here. I'm, I will be leaving you all alone to obviously have your proper sort of like reminisce with, with Golda, but tell us a little bit more of maybe some of the stories which, I don't know, maybe they're starting to flood back now as you sit here in front of her. Well, the three of us, uh, Felice, Sue and I, looked at our old class pictures and that brought back memories and... Um, there, yeah. yeah, there's one up on the window. Did you? If you just noticed that, I just I didn't see it because yeah, that that picture and one other picture, yes, of the three of us in this picture, and to be able to connect with two women who were my schoolmates from third grade after all these many years, this is the first time that we're seeing each other too, and Miss Siegel. I just remember that Miss Siegel was lovely and beautiful, and mm. she was so glamorous. Yeah. And with um, that flip, the, with her <laughs> hair, 
the long, beautiful hair and her skirts and her smile. And to remember a teacher after all these years who's made such an impact is very unique, I think, and unusual. And I'm just thrilled to be here. I see Sue and... Where are you, Felice? Fel- beautiful Felice and Sue. This and I'm Sue? over here. Oh, that's Sue. This is me. And that's gorgeous man over here. I'm here. And uh, there's Miss Siegel. Yeah. Beautiful, glamorous is what I remember. As the three of you look at this photograph, we're, we're just going to give it away a little bit. It is 1965 is the photograph. As you look at it, all three of you, as you look at this photograph right now, other than seeing your younger selves and your teacher, Golda, you've got your other classmates here. Is it, is it, is it evoking any other sort of memories? Has anything just suddenly hit you at all about, oh, I wonder what's happened to him or to her? Definitely. We, we actually were doing that on the, on the ride over here on the boat, and some of us have stayed in touch with some of the people, but... Not very many, and yeah, I, I mean, like this boy, I remember how kind he was. Um, Scott, do you remember him? He was, yeah, because he was too, he was good. He never acted up, so I that's why you, you, you... His last name? Heller, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I remember these faces. Uh, it's, it's amazing because it really, it just draws you right back into that space. Goldeye, final thought? I'm thrilled. I'm very thrilled and very excited to chat with each of them and find out how their lives have been. I'm overwhelmed, I would say that, yes. Has the scaredness gone? Because you said you were scared earlier, didn't you? I was. I was nervous. I was nervous, but I'm not nervous anymore. (laughs) It's been a pleasure talking to the three of you and to Golda. Thank you ever so much for letting us be part of it. Thank you very much. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Research shows that screening with mammography can detect breast cancer early when it is most treatable. If you're a woman over 40, schedule your annual mammogram today. Women of any age who are at high risk should talk to their doctors about when to start screening. While white women have a slightly higher rate of breast cancer diagnosis, black women are more likely to die from the disease. For more information, visit radiologyinfo.org. Green Valley Tree LLC is proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week. Contact Green Valley Tree LLC for all your tree removal and plant health care needs and more. Find us at GreenValleyTreeWorks.com or call 860-234-4041. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. The redevelopment of State Pier in New London being overseen by the Connecticut Port Authority has run into more issues that could add more than $7 million to the overall cost of the project. The details came at a recent Port Authority Board of Directors meeting where the interim executive director Ulysses Hammond detailed the issues in an update report. Chairman of the authority David Kouros explained to the board how they intended to pay for the additional work without asking for more money from the state. Use the remaining contingency, use the funds that were freed up from soft costs tightening, and defer five years of lease payments, the last five years, 2028 to 2033, to future operating budgets, freeing up the capital necessary to execute this agreement without any additional state dollars. 
ACOM, who are project managing the redevelopment, said some of the issues range from underwater obstructions and clearing them for pile driving to extra demolition and electrical equipment costs. Kuros also told the board that although they could pay for the additional work, said he couldn't promise more issues might still be uncovered and there was no more money if that happens. We don't have access to any more funds beyond this point. We have exhausted our available funds as approved and authorized and allocated to us by the state. And we are proposing to take a big move in taking on that obligation for those rent payments in the future. We don't have any other tools like that available to us beyond this. The authority will pay for the additional work using money from a contingency fund, costs they have saved from other areas of the project and by taking money from an escrow account for lease payments for renting property next to the pier. The state pier project started at $93 million and has ballooned to around $255 million. The Coast Guard Academy in New London unveiled their new Maritime Centre of Excellence during a commissioning ceremony recently. The event was attended by local legislators and business leaders, as well as current and former members of the Coast Guard. Randall Hogan, the chairman of the Maritime Centre campaign and member of the Coast Guard class of 1977, explained the majority of the money for the project came from Coast Guard alumni. We received gifts from the class of 1942 all the way to the class of 2017. That's 75 years of the long blue line. That's amazing. 40 classes donated to it, and five classes donated over a million dollars to this program. Rear Admiral William Kelly is the 42nd superintendent of the academy and said the new centre is critical to the Coast Guard as they continue their work at home and around the globe. The Science and Engineering Innovation Lab, along with the class and seminar spaces, will do so much to advance our efforts. And they are the first step in our commitment to provide the new and innovative active learning spaces that we need for our cadets and our faculty to maintain our competitive edge. The new building, which sits on the banks of the River Thames and overlooks the waterfront, is the first major LEED-certified green building to update the Academy's 90-year-old campus. The new Maritime Centre of Excellence is due to officially open for use in late November and has cost $25 million. New figures from the U.S. Census Bureau shows the number of people working from home in Connecticut tripled between 2019 and 2021. That's according to the new 2021 American Community Survey based on census data. Michelle Ridden-Nord is the executive director of Connecticut Data Collaborative, the official source for data related to the 2020 census, and says Connecticut also saw higher than national average numbers of people staying home to work. What's really interesting, you know, I expected that increase in 2020, but it persisted into 2021. So we have, before the pandemic, we had about 5.6% of the Connecticut workforce working from home. And then in 2021, we had 19.5% working from home. The U.S. national average for home workers for the same period was around 17.9%, putting Connecticut and other states like Colorado and Massachusetts as leaders in remote working. Reed and Nord said the survey also showed for the same period a 2.5% drop in people working in Connecticut service industries like restaurants, which were closed for long periods of time and changing their occupation due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The oldest drawbridge of its type in America was celebrated recently in Mystic. The Mystic Basquiel Bridge turned 100 years old and local leaders, businesses and members of the public celebrated the event with music and a fireworks display. U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal was one of the invited guests and said the bridge is a symbol of America. And a bridge, of course, is not only a physical structure, it's a symbol, it's a legacy, it's a connection. 
And so this bridge stands and symbolizes for more than just its architecture, more than just its construction value. It is a means of celebrating, and bridges should be celebrating, what brings us together, two towns, two people, communities, families. Heather Summers is a state senator for the Mystic Area and recognized the historic importance of the bridge and other events happening at the time. The patent number for the Mystic Bridge, 1270925, was issued in 1922. And the bridge, the Mystic Bridge, was opened officially July 19, 1922. So a lot was happening then. The bridge is owned and operated by the Connecticut Department of Transportation and was rehabilitated between 2000 and 2013 to restore its long-term reliable operation. It was designed by engineer Thomas E. Brown of the famous Otis Elevator Company and when it opened 100 years ago was the first of its kind in the country. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East this week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.